Quiet on the set. Okay, everybody, quiet on the set. Scene one, take ten, Marker. studio of WHUP LP Hillsborough. Welcome to Murmur. My name is Robert Malazzo, and over the next hour, together, we'll explore where culture meets craft. Today on Murmur, how the legend becomes the legion. Two perspectives on iconic creator Will Eisner at 100 years old. Francesco Francavia, Frank Miller will be with us. Welcome. Modern School Film presents Murmur. My name is Robert Malazzo. I am the founder of the Modern School Film. We're here with you every week on WHEPLP. We're also online. Our website is murmurradio.com. Our social Instagram, Twitter is at MSF Murmur. At MSF Murmur. And Facebook and email is murmurradio.com. Drop us a line. Let us know you're listening. You can also hear us uh, on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. Every week we're live, but every day we're available. Murmur Radio. Welcome. Today we have two guests, but really the main reason, the main topic of conversation is someone who won't be here physically, but is never far from the thoughts and the work of comic book artists and creators everywhere, and that's Will Eisner. Will Eisner, who actually turns 100 years old this year, he passed in 2005, uh, was born 1917, a Brooklyn kid uh, from modest means, grew to become a legendary creator, not only a creator on, on a physical, artistic, creative sense or sort of pen to paper sense, but also an innovator. And I'll define that innovator, uh, that word in a moment. But he was an entrepreneur and also in a sense that he was doing things and no one else was doing fiscally with comics and, and in terms of the business of comics. But today we're really excited to have two different perspectives. Uh, Francesco Francavia will be with us in our first segment and Frank Miller will be with us in our second. And it'll be cool to get two different generational perspectives, two different geographic perspectives. Franco, Francesco is from Italy. Frank is from Maryland, but grew up in um, Vermont mostly. Anyway, uh, the technical, we could spend hours on the technical and the artistic innovations of Will Eisner. We can spend hours and days and weeks on the cultural innovations 
Um, I want to boil it down a little bit uh, because I, I'm fascinated by the way he looked at two things, by the way he looked at his audience or thought of his audience. He prized the audience. And also by the way he thought of the form of comics, which he thought was closer to live theater and literature than film. But if we look at it cinematic, the tools, uh, the metaphysical tools of his trade, the concepts were to bring the audience in, you know, superheroes, a word he didn't seem to like much and really wasn't around when he developed the spirit, uh, which was his first, the first sort of prized progeny of his. Uh, Spirit didn't have a gun and didn't have a costume, save for a mask and a hat. That's enough of a costume for me. Uh, But, you know, it's not just that. It's in terms of the pen to paper, use of silent panels, um, stripping down backgrounds, bringing the audience into a participatory mode. He was equal parts artist and and restless spirit. He compared himself. He did a a play on Don Quixote late in his life and he he seemed to fancy himself or consider himself a bit of a Don Quixote figure. He said, I think many of us in this business are Don Quixotes. Anybody in the business of innovation is in pursuit of something that nobody else believes exists. Let me use that definition of innovation again. It's the pursuit of something that nobody else believes exists. His work was both a reaction to an absence in art and commerce of comics, but also um, an addressing of in that in in that address of of the absence of something, it pushed the medium forward, and that's what every artistic innovator has done. Maybe every innovator ever has done. Will Eisner is an innovator. His fans are legion. We have today two people who've taken up his th- that sort of torch for him in many ways. Uh, it's funny, he looked at his work as mostly a solitary pursuit. If he knew, and he did know, but if he continued to see how much his work affects creators now, I'm sure he does some in some way know this, uh, he would be even more proud of his innovation. Um... First up is Francesco Francovia, who currently is drawing a, a spirit mini, just came out, um, and then Frank Miller later. But first this. In a desperate effort to persuade Inspector Henderson not to release evidence which the police chief says proves that Superman is the mysterious burglar who has been breaking into banks, stealing money, and then donating it to charity, Clark Kent made a daring bargain with the inspector. Within 24 hours, he promised, he would either bring in the real thief or produce Superman himself. Kent then outlined his plan to his friend, Batman. The bank robberies had followed a circular path within a 50-mile radius of Metropolis, and only the banks in two towns, Lordville and Somerset, had not been broken into by the mysterious burglar. Hosting private detective Candy Myers and his men in Somerset, Kent and his true identity of Superman accompanied Batman and Robin, his young companion, to Lordville. As we continue now, late at night, our three friends are hidden in the dark shadows of the small brick bank building. The little village is wrapped in sleep, and a cloudy sky shrouds the pale moon. Robin, nervous, breaks the tense silence. This bank robber's gonna show up. I wish he'd make it soon, Batman. I'm getting cold. Relax, Robin. Anybody know what time it is, Superman? I think I can see the town clock from here. Wait a minute. Yes, it's just 
20 minutes past 12. Yeah, we might have a long wait then. He didn't show up in the last job he tried to pull until after one. Most of the other robberies took place around midnight. Keep your eyes peeled. We might see him at any minute. The sooner the better. I owe him something for the shellacking he gave us last night. If he does appear, Robin, leave him to me. No, sir. Nobody can use me for a football and get away with it. You heard Superman, Robin. He's giving the orders tonight. Okay, hold but... It, hold it, What's that? Relax, Jim, relax. Just the town clock striking the half hour. Hey, Batman. Wasn't Candy Myers supposed to check with us from Somerset between 12 and 12.30 on the walkie-talkie? Say, that's right, he was. Jeepers, you suppose the bank robber showed up here? I hope not. He was there last night and you two scared him away. I don't think he'll try Somerset again. But we'd better check. You got the walkie-talkie on your back, Robin. Contact Candy, will you? Okay. Calling Candy... Oh, so loud. Oh, sorry. Calling Candy Myers in Somerset. Lord Hill's calling Candy Myers in Somerset. Come in, Candy. There is no political solution. So June 2nd, 1940, Will Eisner's uh, first issue of The Spirit is created, and that f- began this sort of iconic run uh, for something no one had ever seen before, this tabloid-sized insert into the Sunday edition of uh, syndicated two syndicated newspapers, The Register and The Tribune. The, this, the, that... that corner of the paper became so popular it was actually called the spirit section and it chronicled uh, a masked vigilante uh, Dennis Colt Jr. Denny Colt who um, presumed dead but fought uh, crimes with the blessing of the city's commissioner Commissioner Dolan Um, Denny Colt Dennis Colt Jr. is the spirit so Denny came back from death to uh, fight crime and this comic the spirit keeps coming back and back thankfully and we have a new crime fighter comic crime fighter to take up the fight uh, he is a, an award-winning New York Times best-selling creator uh, for, worked on acclaimed series like Batman Captain America Hawkeye Guardians of the Galaxy as well as uh, his own creator owned the Black Beetle is a fascinating series uh, currently, he is writing, drawing uh, a mini of uh, Will Eisner's The Spirit uh, for Dynamite Comics, and, and that run is called The Corpse Makers. It's The Spirit is attempting to solve a mystery of uh, seemingly unrelated disappearances and deaths in Central City. Uh, what's fascinating about him, he not only loves Eisner and is working uh, to service the legend of Eisner, he is an, he is an Eisner winner himself. Please welcome to the Modern School of Film and to Murmur, Francesco Francavia. Uh, Francesco, uh, como esta? Uh, I'm uh, so bad, so bad. I'm fine, thank you. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Oh man, it's an honor to have you uh, with us. 
Uh, let's start, I guess, simply. How did you come to the spirit? I guess, were you a reader before you were an executor of of the comic work? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I've been reading comics since I was probably no, six, seven-year-old. Once I started uh, learning how to read, probably, you know, those were the first thing I was reading. Um, and, you know, growing up in Italy... The early comics were mostly uh, what uh, what are produced over there, which is uh, the um, Mickey Mouse, the Topolino. Uh, they're made by Disney in Italy, and they are digest format. So it's kind of uh, our, I mean, the Italian version of uh, Archie comics over here. You know. and w- which is ironic, because Archie is a title you've worked with as well. Uh, so it's it's your life has kind of been a greatest hits of you as a child, which is kind of wonderful. Is is Eisner known in Italy? And where are you from in Italy? What part of Italy? Oh, I am from the from the south, from the Amalfi Coast, uh, Naples area. Oh, it's so, it's really uh, ugly. the Amalfi Coast for those of you listening is really ugly. Don't ever go there. No, it's gorgeous. It's one of the oh most. Oh my god! I'm teasing. I'm teasing. I've driven those hills. Are gorgeous. I'm teasing. It's stunning. Um, is will. Who would know about Will Eisner in Italy? Is it is it a a name that needs more information, or is for comic book lovers? Do they know who Will Eisner is? I think for uh, for comic uh, readers, lovers, uh, Eisner is an institution. It's a legend. So everybody knows uh, knows about him, uh, about his work. Uh, I knew about the spirit. Uh, I knew about. Um, uh, you know the the award was given uh, in San Diego uh, um, and named after him. Yeah, so, the Eisner Awards, and what's wonderful, pardon me for interrupting, but the Eisner Awards are voted on by other artists, so it's not some Deus Ex Machina coming down to give an award. Your peers vote on the Eisner, correct? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, they um, um, there is a a panel judge that will um, select nomination and then it's up to uh, people that work in the industry so artists uh, writers letters uh, editors i mean everybody that uh, uh, has their hands in uh, making a comic book uh, you know can vote and pick among those five nominees for each category so yeah that's uh uh, an award that is given to you by by your own industry. Yes. When you came to the spirit, was speaking with uh, Francesco Francavilla here on Murmur. It's funny. It's not only Will Eisner, but we're talking about Jules Pfeiffer. We're talking about Wally Wood. We're talking about Darwin Cook, Matt Wagner, a tradition of creators who had worked on this comic. Did that <laughs> did that induce any fear, or were you were you were, were you especially thoughtful about approaching? the spirits, given that long line of creators? Well, I think in the, the first part, you know, um, the Will uh, Eisner, the Hollywood, uh, that part is kind of intimidating, because especially when you tackle someone else's creation, you always want to try to make a good job, you know, make them um, uh, proud, uh, do justice to their uh, creation. Uh, the second part, like Matt Wagner, Darwin, uh, they were more like uh, um, an extra motivation for me to do it because uh, I'm, I'm I'm different with these creators, and 
knowing that uh, they had their hand on uh, on the spirit, it was kind of an incentive for me. Say, so, you know, I wanna I wanna play too. So uh, <laughs> definitely, I was uh, I was humbled and uh, uh, honored when I was asked by uh, Nick Barucci, Joe Ryman, and Dynamite to to do this thing. And uh, although I'm having a, a very very busy period uh, in yes. terms of work yes. uh, I couldn't pass that up you know I said okay I, I can pass on the spirit so <laughs> yes 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 I said I, you know, I'll just give up sleeping all together and that's fine <laughs> hey if you got if you gotta die you gotta die this is the way to go yeah, right exactly <laughs> well, exactly well for those of you uh, you know Francesco's work you know, is man, your work is incredible, and it's funny because I, I followed you on Instagram for many months before we did this. You love movies. I mean, this is not a secret, uh, and you know, it's almost a vintage pulp love. You know, we're talking about the Black Beetle, an incredible title uh, that you did before the, the Spirit. You also did some uh, Zorro, which also has that vintage feel. What is it about Eisner? that you think really turns people on because it, there's something, and I say this as a compliment, it, it's, it's the, what makes it it's extraordinary is it's kind of basic extraordinariness, but there's also a pulp cinema feel to it. No. What, what, what do you think really turns people on about Eisner and the spirit? Well, I mean, I, I can, I can say what uh, what strikes with me, you yes. know, uh, which is uh, is, uh, is storytelling. Uh, it was very cinematic. It was, uh, I mean, it really shows that uh, sometimes, you know, we are uh, making comics in uh, a classic, and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, I do that on uh, several series, including After Life with Archie. You know, you have the classic grid of uh, uh, six panels, five, four panels, or whatever. So it's uh, it's a format, okay? It's well known to the reader, and they really connect, and uh, uh, it works. Uh, and that's why it's it's used, still used today. But Eisner uh, really when uh, um, uh, broke some of the of those, uh, you know. Uh, Templates in a, in a way of uh, telling a story. Yes. So uh, that was definitely inspiring. Um, see how he got rid of the, of the border of the panel altogether. So you have these uh, uh, like splash page, but they're not really splash because they're not really filling the whole page. Yes. You know. Uh, yes. So the storytelling was a, a huge um, inspiration for me. His storytelling also the. Uh, how natural the the characters, the, yes. the people moving yes. in front of them, you know, the expression. There is a, a, a lot that we found that the right balance between, uh, you know, this word cartoon, uh, cartoonish, and maybe sometimes considered like in a negative way, but uh, yes. in a, in I think it's more expressive way than a realistic drawing. Well, uh, for example, yes, I'm sorry, go on, please. Oh, no, no. So, for example, uh, um, if you think of Alex Raymond with Kirby, he switched more that uh, more that style when uh, from uh, his you know really neat Flash Gordon 
uh, uh, one needed the webcam, it's, it's a little more cartoonish. Uh, it's like, um, allows you to experiment with different faces, you know, yes. personality, yes. Uh, the, the, the personality of the uh, character is expressed through the, the line of work as well, through the, <laughs> It's an it's an interesting distinction you make. I think it's a really important one. He stretched stretched sorry he stressed naturalism versus realism, which I think is an important distinction. That was something he talked about a lot. Another thing that you're speaking of very well, you know, this idea that the late 30s, early 40s, if we want to look at moving images, you know, Batman was becoming a serial. You know, 1942, 1943, there was a Batman serial at the cinemas. Buck Rogers was late 30s. Uh, the, the Shadow was early 40s. So there was a whole renaissance in a type of storytelling that was changing. So I, I love that, in fact, that you locate him as a storyteller. I actually think his artwork is, this is a strange comparison, I think it's closer to R. Crumb than something photographic. Um, it's not abstract. It's not abstract, but it's it leans that way. Um, have you found when you pick up your brush now, what goes through your mind? Are you thinking uh, re- realism? Are you thinking naturalism? Are you thinking uh, surrealism? Do you even think on that level, or, or are you just sort of saying, "I trust myself. I'm drawing Eisner's figures." Uh, I I would say, you know, I do what what I need to do to tell the story. Whatever serves the story, whatever is the best way, mm. in my way to tell the story, that's that's the way I go. If I need to get a little more surrealistic, you know, um, uh, extreme, the faces and something that I for it, I usually attend to. Uh, be more realistic when it comes to uh, objects. Uh, uh, so you're probably going to see in, uh, in my spirit story uh, buildings are well detailed, you know, uh, cars, because I just love drawing cars. <laughs> and uh, I'm setting my story in the in the late 40s, so there's a lot of that style of car that I'm so adore. I mean, I'm I had fun with them in Black Beetle already. Yes, yes. Plenty more in the spirit. And so I I really want to, I want to sell the story. Uh, I'm trying to uh, to do my cinematic approach to telling a story in a way. Uh, So even the the sequence of panels, it's very like the Mossack film from, um, from a film. In a way, yes. Uh, everything is closed. Uh, uh, so when it comes to the characters themselves, I mean, Dolan is such uh, uh, interesting figure with a big jaw, and uh, so uh, I find um, I find like a, a balance. There uh, have to draw in the way how draw and the way it is originally designed. Yes. The same way I did with uh, Jughead uh, in Afterlife. Jug, Jughead in the Archie comic, yeah. Yeah, it was about challenging with his pointing nose. Oh, I was going to do that in a more realistic way. And it's, it seems like Eisner didn't want a photographic copy of that which came before him. You know, so I, I right. you know, talking to Frank Miller, you know, Frank spoke about how in the spirit, 
you know, uh, Will didn't want, you know, Will, there was no sacred cow. Will wanted the boundaries to be pushed. Uh, so I, I think you, you finding the, the different boundary for yourself is, seems very much in the quote unquote spirit uh, that's that's a bad pun. Um, uh, just a couple more thoughts of the spirit. Uh, speaking with Francesco Frecavia, uh, you know, we've talked about in a way the spirit is the comic that can't die, <laughs> much like the character. Um, for young audiences, modern audiences, what do you think the draw is? Is it purely the, the is it the purity of the storytelling? How does it fit into the modern landscape of comics? And what is what is the challenge of the spirit fitting into modern comics? Um, I think it's it's uh, one of those evergreen character. I mean, it's like Mad Men. Uh, in a way, uh, you can uh, modernize the settings, uh, but the the character, the the main story itself, it's it's the same as it was uh, 70 years ago. Yeah, uh, yeah. So I think the spirit, uh, what happened, uh, as the extra thing that um, should have, uh, has, um, I think, that funny element to it, to the story. Uh, but otherwise, it's uh, a detective yes. story. And yeah. those are always appreciated. I mean, you've been on television, most of the TV shows are detective. I mean, it's, and so on. I mean, everything is, is a, at, at the end, it's a detective story. I think it's something that uh, uh, clearly uh, clicks with, with the audience uh, and that will never change. So uh, I don't think uh, the spirit has ever aged in, 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 uh, in that way. Uh, Darwin said him in the more modern times. Uh, but at the end, those stories felt like they were yeah. from, you know, from the fifties, from the forties, and, uh, and and he and he, he, he left center. He left Central City. You know, later the works span the globe. But I, I love what you're saying because you know when you look at Batman, um, Batman is still a detective, and I think there's still a lot of fans that respond to the storytelling of Batman when he literally has a flashlight in his hand, you know, when he's, when he's, right. when he's, when he's solving stories. And I actually think that's something Batman, the animated show did really well. Bruce, Tim and those guys, there was a lot of times when it was good old fashioned, you know, gumshoeing. It was detective work, you know, it's funny, right be in our introduction, right before we came on, I played a little radio drama of Superman and actually Superman some of Superman's comings and goings were also portrayed as detective work, which didn't work as well because he has a more supernatural background. But, um, right. you know, detective pieces that detect, you know, that curiosity, that mystery solving things, as you say, it's evergreen. It's evergreen. Yeah. So, uh, I'm definitely, uh, seeing, uh, the spirit of beings, new story of the spirit being told even 100 years from now. I mean, uh, as long as you stay true to the to the main uh, uh, nature of, of the character, so the thing is, it's always going to be uh, something that will click with the audience. Uh, well, you know, I'm sorry. Go on. Go ahead. Go ahead, my friend. Sorry. Oh, I was done. I was done. Uh, well, you know, I'm not done because we need a whole show just to talk about the amazing work you do in homage to movies. And, you know, 
we'll, we'll, I'd love to do this again, you know, either on the Amalfi Coast or maybe Sardinia, like on a beach. Uh, you know, Firenze is beautiful in the spring. Um, maybe we could do it somewhere there. But, you know, we'd love to, I'd love to have you back and talk about, I mean, for those of you listening and, and not steeped in Francesco's work yet, go to his website, but look at the stuff like he's done for Mondo Tees and the Criterion covers you've done, man. I, I love that cinema DNA in your work. So I want to thank you and thank you for carrying on the spirit of the spirit. Yeah. I'm a huge fan of uh, movies and uh, I try to, uh, you know, if I get inspired, uh, I do quote unquote fun art things about quite some effort in invitation called fun art. Uh, but yeah, in, in, in a way though, uh, it's been good because uh, many times I do uh, things for fun and um, and then uh, I get this uh, movie company or this producer contacting me saying, oh, we saw you did this poster for the TV show we like to use on the DVD. I said, okay. <laughs> so eventually, <laughs> eventually things um, uh, turn out to be... Um, at, at the end, of, uh, uh, it worked. Uh, work anyway. At the end, you know, not just for fun. But yeah, uh, a huge fan of, of movies. I just want to see um, Hidden Figures last night. Uh, oh yes, which, uh, I, I loved it. I loved it. And uh, when I when I can, I try to go to, to the theater. I don't go as often as I like to. So you know. Mostly, I watch stuff on television, but uh, try to replicate the magic in my comics. It's, uh, it's my goal. Well, be, you know, be, caref- be careful what you wish for, man. Every, everything you seem to follow f- finds you in the end. And I, <laughs> I wish you the, all the best, my friend, and, and we'd love to have you back. And uh, in the meantime, take care and, and, and thank you with the great work on Will Eisner's The Spirit and all your other stuff. Thank you for having me again, uh, Rob, and um, we'll be talking again soon. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if it's going to be from Italy, but <laughs> <laughs> if, not, if not, we'll do it again from here, from uh, uh, an American Riviera. Okay. Uh, uh, ch- ciao, my friend. Be well. Grazie mille, and we'll talk to you again. Ciao, ciao. Bye. High atop one of the hills which ring the teeming metropolis of Gotham City, A large house rears its bulk against the dark sky. Outwardly, there's nothing to distinguish this house from many others. But deep in the cavernous basements of this house, in a chamber hewn from the living rock of the mountain, is the strange, dimly lighted, mysteriously secret Bat's Cave, hidden headquarters of America's number one crime fighter, Batman. Yes, Batman clad in the somber costume which has struck terror to the heart of many a swaggering denizen of the underworld. Batman, who even now is pondering the plans of a new assault against the forces of crime. A crushing blow against evil in which he will have the valuable aid of his young, two-fisted assistant, Robin the Boy Wonder. They represent American youth who love their country and are glad to fight for it. Wherever crime raises its ugly head to strike with the venom of a maddened rattlesnake, Batman and Robin strike also. And in this very hour when the actors criminals are spreading their evil over the world, even within our own land, Batman and Robin stand ready to fight them to the death. To a love in now it's 
So allow me to uh, paint you a picture. Exterior New England street, evening. Rain is falling, the sound of rain. A young man is running up a street, and he has a brown paper bag in his hand, and inside the brown paper bag is a very important parcel. The young man is excited. The young man is maybe a little bit apprehensive. Rain is falling off his hat, maybe. He spots a lamppost, a light. In his excitement, he decides quickly to lean upon the lamppost and open the package. Inside the package, we insert a shot of Will Eisner's The Spirit. Cut back to a close-up of the young boy. He is grinning. Cut to a montage of several occasions when this young boy was to meet this man, Will Eisner, who authored this comic, The Spirit. Not only meet him, but join the ranks of the Will Eisner Hall of Fame. And someday, one day, thankfully, call Will Eisner his friend. Well, that young boy is Frank Miller, and he's with us today. Please welcome on this occasion of Will Eisner's 100th birthday, a sort of pre-birthday boy himself. Welcome back to the Modern School of Film and to murmur for the first time, Professor Frank Miller. Frank, welcome, man. Thanks for being here. Hello. Happy birthday in advance. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Do you count anymore, or where are you at uh, in your in your state of mind on birthdays? Somebody count. <laughs> I, I think there's a, a couple of good people in your life who probably count for you. Um, <laughs> thank you for being here. You know, Will, uh, it's funny because Will turns 100 this year, so to say. Uh, but I want to go back in time. I just told the story of you uh, reading um, The Spirit While Lodged Against a Lamppost in Vermont. It's sort of a beautiful oh, image. Yeah. Do you remember that day? Do you remember buying The Spirit and, and reading and, and just kind of devouring Will's work? Yeah, I was. I would. Uh, I went to the where I grew up in Vermont. There were two comic book shops in in, in sister cities, um, and I would ride on my bicycle to go to each one of them because they they carried different comics. Distribution was very spotty back then. And uh, one uh, weekend, I went to buy my comics, and there was a very strange looking, oversized comic book. It was in black and white. Mm. called The Spirit. I'd never heard of it. Um, I opened the magazine and couldn't believe my eyes. I thought, whoever this guy is, he's the, he's, he's the most exciting new guy on the block. Mm. Um, and it wasn't until I got home and actually studied the stuff at great length that I saw the copyright notice was 1946. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, it was the most advanced comic book I've ever seen. It really remains so in a lot of ways. Um, so I, I studied it from afar, and when I actually got to New York, I, I was lucky enough to seek Will out and, and to get to know him and to learn from him directly. Always up for a very long and good argument, which he always wants. Well, I want to talk to you a little bit about the cinema arguments and cinema versus comic, because I love what you guys, the different points of view, but it's funny, you know, we had Peter Bogdanovich recently, and, and Citizen Kane just turned 75. And not to put Kane and Wells and Will and Spirit together, we could if we wanted to, but Peter f first saw Citizen Kane in the 50s. So it's interesting that you say the copyright of the Spirit was the 40s, and you were obviously not reading it in the 40s. What, what does that say? I mean, is that a referendum on, the, on how slowly things change or just how, what it takes to open people's eyes? What, what, that, that, that time lag 
What do you attribute that to? And well, I, think, um, I don't know what a time lag. I don't know if there was a time lag so much as Will Eisner was rediscovered. Yeah, it was fabulously popular back when it was released as a newspaper section. Um, and you've got to also keep in mind that that Will was involved in many of the of the big creations of the 1940s in comic books. He created the Blackhawks, for instance. Mm. Um, and, and endless other, endless other uh, strips. So, so uh, his work constantly rejuvenated itself. When, um, when he had become an historic figure, uh, Warren Publishing and then Dennis Kitchen revived, revived him, reprinting his, his spirit comics, then he came back to to introduce this wacky new idea called a graphic novel. <laughs> yes, right. Um, with, with a contract with God. 1978, right. And he went on to doggedly pursue that when nobody in America was doing it. He was following the European model, and he inspired my generation to follow suit. And, and you had read him around the Jim Warren Publishing, correct? I think 1970... I think you mentioned you read it, uh, not to put a date on this, but you were around 13, so your early teens. Yeah. So that was the Jim Warren iteration of it. Um, yeah. And that that comic, if if the legend stands, that you were reading was the Sans Serif uh, issue, was it not? That was the first story I remember reading. Because I, because for one thing is it was of all most outrageous things, a two-part story, mm. each part being eight pages long. But to me it felt like an epic. And also it was a... It was a romance in the deepest sense of the word when, when uh, American comics were largely telling stories that were juvenile. This was, this was a, a romance in, along the lines of Casablanca. Mm. Um, and, and, uh, and it was a real heartbreak. She became, San Serif became a model of, of sorts for Electra. Is, is that accurate? Yeah, there'd be, the, uh, that's, that's a very good observation. I was my, my first writing job in comics was when I introduced Electra, and I uh, decided to steal from the best. <laughs> I, I, took the, I took the story. I took the story structure straight from Will Eisner's fantastic. Uh, and I remember you told me uh, that Matt Murdock was a sort of Robert Redford-like, you know. So you had good taste, my friend. <laughs> that's a pretty. It's <laughs> a pretty sexy duo, uh, right there. You know, so many innovations. We're speaking with the master, Frank Miller, who's a working artist, by the way. He, he won't admit he's an icon, so let's just consider him a working artist. But it's funny, Will, I think Will considered himself one, too. You know, the spirit was sort of this working class. He, he seemed to hate the word superhero because he came from very modest roots as well. Do you think that was his ethos, too, the sort of working reader? Because he, he, he was all about the readers. That's one of his innovations, isn't it? Well, he was he was he was an entertainer every which way, a storyteller. Yeah. The the uh, the, the spirit. Um, when when he started the spirit, he was under editorial pressure to do a superhero strip, and he had no interest in drawing a guy in tights running around. He'd done that in the past. He didn't particularly like drawing that way. He didn't. Think he was especially good at it because he was he had a much more realistic style of drawing than a figure. Um, so his concession to to the publisher was to put a mask on him. <laughs> yes, yes. His idea of a costume was a trench coat <laughs> and, a, and a hat. <laughs> That's exactly I right. And, and not a gun, as you know. Uh, but 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 busy. 
Everett Busy Arnold, one of the great names in comic lore from Quality Comics, as you say, said, you know, put a costume on him. And Will said, okay, he has a costume. He's got a mask. <laughs> I love that idea. Yeah. 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 And if there's, there's, a, there's one delicious moment in the San Serif story where he actually takes his mask off for her. Wow. And it's the and uh, up until that moment, you've never seen him without his mask. And it's, 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 it, is the, it is the epitome of an intimate moment between characters in a comic book. And, and I mean, what 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 greater display of intimacy for a hero? Forget superhero or man or woman in tights, but to reveal themselves. And it's it's get, I'm getting yes. goosebumps just you sort of <laughs> mentioning it. Um, he he understood the the left brain side of it as well, the business side, as you as you sure. suggest. He he said I I. I had opened a toll booth in an empty field waiting for the highway to come through. And, you know, I, th- I love that. And, and I think he was speaking about... Spe- also, it's important to keep in mind that, that one of Will's parents was a businessman, the other was an artist. And, and he always regarded himself as both. It was very important to him to excel. Also, equally important is that he came from the Depression. Yeah, yeah. So, so improving himself... As someone who could make a good living for his family, was as important as any artistic accomplishment he could ever have. Out of that tenement culture, so to say, his father was an artist. His mother was the business brain, in a sense, and I think it was much to her chagrin that he became an artist. I want to talk a little bit about uh, Phil, you and he. This wonderful book. Um, which was, I, I, I believe, the progeny of several days in 2002 when you, you were in person with one another. The book was released... A week. A week. The book yeah. was released... Right. The book was released in 2005 by Dark Horse, Eisner Miller. Um, how did that idea come to pass? Was it simply you speaking and then the book idea was this all one big logarithm that you wanted to put something on paper where the two of you were speaking together? Yeah, it was, it was, it was really, um, I wanted something to, to, he and I were having endless discussions, and, and I was, I was just, um, learning hand over fist from yeah. the guy. Yeah, And, and I, I, I wanted a document of it. Like, you know, I, I knew he wouldn't be around forever, and his, and he was, he was such a natural teacher, and in fact, that's what he was doing with, with, with a lot of his time, was, you know, he, he, he um, was a teacher. Um, and so it, what began as, as an extended interview ended up being a very lively debate that went on for hundreds of pages, where I came in with my prejudices and my misconceptions, and he slapped me straight on a regular basis. <laughs> yes. uh, what's cool, you know, when you can, it's like the difference between practicing with the JV or the varsity. I mean, you guys, that's a varsity yeah. practice, you guys. Are, <laughs> that's, a, that's, a, that's a real scrimmage. Um, one of the things that yeah. Isaac wrote in, and because it's more my tradition as film, the, the interesting dialectic you, you both had on film, can you encapsulate a little bit of the differences of, of philosophy in terms of what comic books come from? You know, and where they do they land closer to film or live theater, and maybe Will's point of view, and maybe your point of view. I just find this juicy and fascinating. Uh, well, well, the, the, yeah. he and I disagreed about this in particular because I, I saw, I I saw in CE Comics as as a as a real sister medium to film. Yeah. Um, and and Will believed that comics were married forever and only to literature, <clears throat> and that the that 
uh, it was very important to him that the that, that, um, comics remain aloof and separate from film. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it, I think that may have had to do with the fact that comics have always existed in film's shadow. Um, I'm not sure. I can't read his motives, but but the but it was just an ongoing disagreement we had. It's interesting because he he one of his innovations was the wordless the dialogueless panel, which to me mm-hmm. supports not an argument but supports the tea leaves as you read them because what's more cinematic you know uh, than that silent form? Um, at, the, at the same time, Will would counter that that one of the most brilliant um, aspects of, of the comic book. Page is the is the gutter, the white space between panels, where the where the um, reader actually creates a hundred images. Mm-hmm. Whereas in in film, the the motion is is more or less continuous. What that doesn't, of course, uh, take into consideration is the cut, <laughs> which creates a which creates an artificial gap in time that could be anything from two seconds to a year. Well, it's interesting, you know, looking at his film tastes, they were qu- they seem to be quite avant-garde. I know Man Ray, the, the artist, was a favorite f- filmmaker of his, which I would never have put in the same sentence in the say. Did you ever speak about his taste in cinema, or was it just, you know, th- this is one bucket, this is another? Did you ever watch movies together? Did you ever discuss creatives together? But we, we, we did not watch movies together. My time with him was too precious for that. Yeah, exactly. Uh, we, we didn't really have leisure time together. Why, why waste uh, it watching a movie? <laughs> I agree. <laughs> I why, why waste it doing anything passive? <laughs> exactly. Uh, exactly. But, the, but the, beyond that, his, 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 um, he, had, uh, he had an impatience with discussing film at all. Mm. He, he, was, he was so defiant about proving comics work. That he, he really didn't he really didn't seem to want to talk about movies, which is strange because me and everybody else who works in comics loves to talk about movies. <laughs> I know. What's your problem, Frank? <laughs> I have the same problem. I don't think there's a cure, unfortunately. We're speaking with Frank Miller, the Frank Miller here on Murmur. Uh, um, you mentioned Contract with God, which to me is one of the great pieces of literature in any genre. I hate that we even have to subdivide it. But he said something that you're talking about now, he, he, this idea of giving the reader almost a blank background um, and the reader would supply their own information. And also it seems like what he was also trying to do was strip the background almost to whiteness and nothingness, and the character would articulate an expression. And it's funny, because I was thinking of Carl Dreyer, Jean D'Ar- The Passion of Jeanne d'Arc, and that's something Dreyer was trying to do. And if you watch that movie, the wall, every wall is white, so you invest the energy of the watching into the character. Do you think his his work was going even more towards that as he went on? How the character expresses something through body language? Because I, not to speak as if you're not here, but that's how I see your work very much now too. Like the articulation, the posture of the character says something about the character. Do you think Will was experimenting with that as well in some of his later works? Yeah, yes, yes I do. And, and he um, also... One of the things he taught me, though, is that, that um, a cohesive effect, I, I, I'm sorry, a cohesive approach to, to, to drawing a background is not necessarily the most effective one. Mm. Drawing an entire room 
can impress everybody technically, and it can sure show that you're willing to put a lot of work in. But much more can be conveyed by um, a simple bed stand with a cup of coffee on it, and um, or, or or something that indicates what, or you know, and a book, just that indicates something about character and what's been going on. Mm. Um, whereas a, a delineated, three-dimensional illustration, it might look like some great narcotic architectural digest but it, it doesn't really tell a story hmm. it's interesting you know I was thinking of his use of color as you were talking and um, I was teaching a class on Raging Bull the other day and Marty Scorsese started shooting Raging Bull in color and he showed the film uh-huh. he showed the film to Michael Powell the great filmmaker Michael Powell and Michael said it's all wrong the boxing sequences are all wrong his boxing gloves are too distracting in red you've got to shoot this in black and white. Um, And that seems to be, you know, Will once said, black and white gives me the closest contact with the reader. It reaches the reader without interference. Color has a tendency to interfere with the dialogue. What do you think about that Um, in terms of technique and craft? Do you think that's a contribution? Do you think that's a simplification of color? I find find black and white more intimate. Hmm. Um, it's, 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 it, it makes comics more the work of one hand, um, and uh, it, 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 is, uh, it involves the reader more deeply. The more the reader, the more um, energy the reader is spending doing work, the more engaged they are, mm. the more creative they are in the reading process. Mm. Just a couple more thoughts here with Frank Miller. We won't keep you uh, much longer. I just want to look a little bit at the maybe less poetic side, but I think it's something that you've been doing in your work as well, this idea of fighting for ownership and, you know, you know, folks like yourself and Jack Kirby and Neil Adams, you know, but Eisner was doing that as well. He really believed in creator-owned comic. Is he a, a resource for that, like a, a touchstone for that, or do we, you know, was did, how much business savvy did he lend? He seemed to be very smart on that level. He was extremely smart when it came to business. I mean, he was, he was, he was brilliant. Uh, he was, you know, at a time when nobody owned every, anything, he owned everything he did. Yeah. Um, and, and, uh, and yeah, he was a teacher about it too. I would say the the person who taught me the most about um, about ownership and about rights in general was Neil Adams, who unfortunately wasn't able to gain as much from it yeah. as as Will was. But but um, he taught a whole generation how to watch out for ourselves. You know, th- thinking as, as, as I want to end on a, some thoughts about the man rather than the, the legion of 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 will but you know looking back at the spirit just for a second if you'll indulge me um i when when it's funny when i think of that marriage of you to a project you know i was thinking of jonathan demi jonathan uh he said the movie that made him want to go into filmmaking was the manchurian candidate and years Uh years later he ended up remaking it you know um now the spirit wasn't a remake but what, what was was there any fear? Was there any level of fear going into that project, knowing your adoration for the man, knowing the man, and and frankly, did you ever think of not doing the project even once it started? You know, did you ever think, wow, this is this is sacred ground, and and I'm I'm trans 
trespassing. I'm just playing a cynical view. Did you ever, did you ever, did those thoughts ever, you, you know, you know the man without fear very well. You drew him. But what were the fears of going into the, the spirit as a film? Oh, <laughs> Will, Will, would have, Will would have punched me in the stomach if I told him I was afraid of touching his, uh, uh, <laughs> touching his material. He didn't believe in that kind of fear. Yeah. And, and uh, it was, the spirit was great material. And, and and great fun to do, and it's 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 a and I just tried to do a good faithful job. What I love though, you didn't treat it like a sacred cow, and 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 as you said, that's not what Will, yeah, that's not what Will would have wanted. Is that is that does that sound right to you? Well, it's not what he wanted. He was yeah. he was around. Um, less thoughts, you know, Will had some really beautiful thoughts on the act of drawing, and, and he said something you know that I wanted to get your reflection on. He said, comics are a solitary business. You're always working in a small room. What do you think, in your experience in film and comics, do you find either lonely? I mean, do you, do, is, that, is that part of the challenge of, of the business you've chosen and Will has chosen, or that this business chose you, as Hitchcock would say? Uh, the, the sort, the, the sort of loneliness, and I don't mean loneliness as a pejorative, just as a kind of fact of life. No, I'm, they're completely different pleasures. Mm. Well, I mean, the central creative pleasure is the same, but but the uh, uh, working in film for me has been has been uh, an amazing communal experience. I think the biggest challenge is keeping your head on straight in the middle of it with all these voices talking to you at the same time. Yes. And yes. doing comics is, is it's, it's a wonderful journey. And the biggest mm. challenge there is not going crazy from the loneliness. So it's, mm. it's, they, they have different challenges, but they're, but they're wonderful experience. The, um, you know, this is his hundredth year. Do you feel like we need to remind ourselves of Will, or do you think he still lives on? I mean, the 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 spirit is back this year; it's been back in different iterations. Is he someone we uh-huh. need to keep? You know, I, I always I ask Bogdanovich, "Have we forgotten Wells? You know, have we got forgotten Orson Wells?" So I'll ask you: Have we forgotten Will Eisner? And if so, what the hell's our problem? Uh, I sure as hell haven't. Yeah. And anybody anybody who studies our field. Or anything that's been influenced by it has got to be aware of him. So, so it's a uh, no, of course not. I mean, have we forgotten Ernest Hemingway? Yeah, no. <laughs> um, and you know what? Uh, I don't forget about you. I want to thank you, man. You're, you're. Oh, thank you very much. My time with you is always a pleasure, and I want to thank you for being with us. And I wish you only the best in health and happiness and professionally. Take care, Frank. Thank you, much, sir. There's an old expression, and I was taught it actually uh, by a theater professor, a theater uh, directing in- instructor, when I was training. And she said, "You, when directing, you should treat a new play like a classic, and a classic like a new play." And I think you know it's an interesting wraparound to today's guest, Francesco, who's taking on this classic and and treating it like a new work. Not entirely, you know, and and then we have Frank Miller who has looked at new work in classic ways and deconstructed ways. So all roads, what are we saying? All roads lead back to Will Eisner after 100 years. Uh, There are, you know, if I bring in some movie 
metaphor to 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 wind us out of here. I, the, you know, Orson Welles, who has been on our mind a lot over the last couple of months. 1941, Citizen Kane. 1940, The Spirit. Uh, the the time of art creation was very different. You know, there was definitely a workaday ethos, and art that came out of and galvanized the working class, male and female, mostly male, to be realistic. Uh, in the sense of the way gender was seen at the time, th- those kind of works were really, um, they, they occupied a, a place both in the populism of the time and the kind of anti-populism. So they were, they were revered and reviled. And if, if we want to think of what's happening now in, in the U- U.S. Uh, politically, there's definitely a move and not just in the U.S. and other in other parts of the world, U.K. politically and others, this idea of a return to populism. Yet popular art does not have those edges that I think art at the time of the '40s and the the turn of those the turn of the dec- those decades had. You know, Wells and Eisner were definitely. Re- reacting in responses to something and maybe that's the best art can do or maybe that's the best anyone can do but i think in reacting to something you also you are also hitting another domino you're also rippling the pool and and eisner continues to do that he continues to be a touchstone of story i mean the one common word both men francesco and frank uttered were storytelling you know, uh, we we don't have time to, there's not enough time in the day to talk about storytelling, so we won't get into that jar today or now, but that is interesting. You know, it's, it's that common denominator as a human being, you know. Uh, I'll leave you with something Will t- talked about with his storytelling. Will Eisner said, I'm dealing with the human condition and I'm dealing with life. For me, the enemy is life. And people's struggle to prevail is essentially the theme that runs through all my books. I love when an author can give us his theme right back to us because oftentimes it's a mystery that dies with the author and the artist. This time it does not. Thankfully, we have that theme that not only lives on with his memory, it lives on as his memory. I want to thank our guest today, Francesco Francavia. I want to thank Frank Miller for being with us here in Murmur. I want to thank you. I want to thank Will Eisner. We're here every week live, WHUPLP. We're on iTunes. We're on Google Play. We're on Stitcher. Twitter, at MSF Murmur. Website, murmurradio.com thank you for being with us class dismissed